Lucas on Life. Hello, welcome to Lucas on Life. I'm Jeff Lucas. This is Premier Christian Radio. This week, we're going to think about getting older. I was reading an article just this week in which someone was decrying, lamenting the truth that there are so many old men in politics these days. Now, that may be true. It may even be regrettable. But surely there's something really rather ageist and disrespectful in that blanket comment. I've been guilty myself of ageism in the past, strangely, when I was younger. I can remember preaching a sermon where I talked about a rather boring church that was only fit for six old ladies and a dead cat. I'm going to come back to that statement a little later, but how utterly offensive that I would make such a statement and how totally contrary that is to the way the Bible teaches us to respect our elders. This week, Lucas on Life, getting older. Clutching my ticket for a brief jaunt on the London Underground, I squeezed myself into the already crammed carriage, the joys of rush hour before social distancing, and grabbed hold of one of those dangling straps. My journey would be brief, through just five stations, but it was memorable. I hadn't anticipated that I was about to navigate a rite of passage. A rather beautiful Muslim lady sat nearby. She smiled up at me and then stood, uttering a sentence that froze my soul. Please, sir, do please sit down. Have my seat. What? I checked behind me to make sure that she was not being charitable to a slight, bandy-legged 97-year-old who must surely be lurking close by. But she was speaking to me. In a millisecond, the horror of the moment broke over me. Apparently, I had become that poor old chap who looks like he's going to collapse at any moment. The frail-looking pensioner that younger people might offer a seat to. I, I stammered my thanks, but added a polite refusal. Not only was I perfectly able to stand, but this was a woman offering her seat to me, a man. Now, look, I'm not ancient, but I'm old enough to remember a time when gentlemen offered their train seats to ladies, although I'm never sure if that's culturally acceptable these days. One might risk being slapped around the head with a copy of a large book by Jermaine Greer. Having muttered my thanks but no thanks reply, I discovered that the lady was absolutely determined in her politeness and kindness. No, please, sir, she said. I insist. Have my seat. And with that, she moved away down the carriage. Further refusal would be churlish. I sat down, feeling 20 years older. Looking across the carriage at my own reflection in the window, I realised that an ageing man was staring back at me. I used to have a lot of hair and even had it permed in the past, forming a ridiculous canopy that might have gotten me work as a temporary bus shelter. But now the grey has driven the brown away, and what's left of my hair forms a symbolic stranded peninsula. It's just jet lag, I told myself. That's why I'm looking older today. But my last flight had been more than a week prior, so that explanation wouldn't fly, literally. Desperately, I wondered if her faith had anything to do with her offer. Was there something in the Quran about giving up a seat on a train for strangers? In the end, 
I decided to just be glad and grateful for her kindness. A big city like London can be an emotional wasteland where thoughtfulness is as scarce as oxygen on Mars. This lady's gracious action was quite lovely and thought-provoking. As I sat there musing, the train relentlessly carrying me through those tunnels towards my destination, I realised fighting getting older is useless. It's where all of us are headed if we're spared to live long enough to see that season. So why not celebrate it rather than dread it? As Christians, we hold a Bible that honours the elderly and never dismisses them. Yet ageism still rears its ugly head in the church. I know. As I mentioned earlier, I contributed to it in days gone by. My skin crawls as I remember making that disparaging remark about that church and the three old ladies in a dead cat routine. Stunningly, it didn't occur to me at the time that lining up elderly female ladies with a deceased cat was hardly respectful and obviously hurtful. So I've made a decision, one that I'm surely going to have to reaffirm again and again, that getting older is something I'll try to embrace and not fight. I'll neither hanker for the past nor dread the future, but endeavour to live fully in the now. We who follow Jesus live in the paradox of being a people committed to live one day at a time, yet with an eternity that has no horizon stretching before us. Unwittingly, the polite lady on the tube had given me more than a seat for five minutes. She had nudged me towards a helpful shift in attitude towards old age. It was then that I glanced across at my own reflection in that window. That same ageing chap stared back at me still, but now he was smiling. Hi, I'm Sam Hales. If you're enjoying Lucas on Life, you'll love the Profile podcast. Every week, we sit down with a leading Christian to find out more about their life, faith, and testimony. Here's Joyce Mayer. Anything that we give up for God, He gives it back to us multiplied so many, many times over. I encourage anybody to make whatever sacrifices they need to to be in the perfect will of God because there's no better place to be. Listen to the full interview with Joyce Mayer now on the Profile podcast. Just search for The Profile wherever you get your podcasts from or visit premierchristianradio.com forward slash The Profile. We're thinking about our approach to getting older and our attitude towards the elderly. People watching is one of my very favourite hobbies. Give me a spare 10 minutes and I'll happily park myself on a bench somewhere and just watch the teeming world go by. Now don't be nervous because it's not voyeurism, but I do enjoy wondering about the lives of those nameless people as they drift by. Who are they? What are their hopes and their histories, their dreams? What are their stories? I look at the lines etched deep on the faces of the elderly and wonder what circumstances drew those indentations. What laugh-out-loud moments of joy have been theirs? What dark days of hopelessness and despair have they navigated? And where and what are they now? I know that as they stroll by in silence, their brains are probably buzzing with tangible thoughts, must-do lists and mushy, shapeless feelings, unquantified by words. They're all crackling around in those passing strangers' heads. Sometimes their eyes betray just a hint of what is playing on the screen of their inner selves. The slightest wisp of pain or fear or pleasure, wistful thinking, wishful thinking. Did I read them correctly, I wonder? I'll never know. Just lately, I've been really noticing older people. 
I've looked into the faces of hunched-over old ladies, their red-veined faces gouged deep where they have frowned or smiled or wept. Some of them are bright-eyed, young in heart and face, the adventure still very much in progress. And some are now being greatly betrayed by their bodies, hunched over by bowing spines, their walk a laboured crawl, their watery blue eyes glazed against the cold. Sprightly old gents pass me, all smart and blue-blazered, a regimental badge worn with pride on their pockets, some with cloth caps, clip-on ties and walking sticks with rubber ends. Blue-rinsed ladies with headscarves and wicker shopping baskets and great thick coats. And I've wondered, just what on earth these seniors think about the world that they find themselves in today, and my generation in particular? Just recently, a couple that looked like they'd been married for life crept slowly past my observatory bench. Just then, a gaggle of 12-year-olds brushed into them rushly as they strode by, their loud, swearing banter staining the air. I saw the sad look in the old man's eyes. He sensed their disdain and total lack of respect. He shook his head in defeat and resignation, and a fear that should never be permitted was written all over his wife's face. Perhaps they'd known more than enough terror, being old enough to have walked through a world war, and maybe two. What must these veterans, these elderly folks, many of them heroes, what must they think of us? My generation has never known what it is to go to the railway station to wave goodbye to a uniformed husband or father and wonder if you'll ever see him again. To date, we have not known the endless grinding struggle of economic depression. Peering fearfully through our fingers during the bloody opening scenes of Saving Private Ryan has been the closest that we've known to the searing butchery of war. We haven't seen the death of hope and sanity, that comes when people are forced to hack the lives out of each other on a battlefield. And yet mine is the generation of the great escape. We have doled our miniature pressures with substance abuse. We have far more than previous generations ever have, and we tend to take it for granted. Our toys, we feel, are our right. So what do the elderly think who've marched to defend what rights they had, but many of whom lost great chunks of their youth or their friends. What do they think of us? I've said at other times on this show that my father was a prisoner of war for four years. His youth swallowed up when he was captured early in the war in the desert of North Africa. The years that were supposed to be footloose and fancy free were spent caged behind rolls of barbed wire. No Friday night laughter with mates at McDonald's. He became pale and gaunt on a near starvation diet. But he would never tell me very much about those wartime years. I used to think that his was a generation unable to speak. They could tell you what they had done, but not what they felt. They had a limited emotional vocabulary. But I think I was absolutely wrong. Surely his was a generation that had glimpsed the unspeakable. And perhaps some of them could never fully feel anything again. To open the door on their innermost feelings would be too dangerous and so they locked and bolted in and got on with the job of trying to be sane again, just by existing another day. Keep calm and carry on. Surely sometimes the old feel estranged and bewildered in our churches. For them, the music is too loud. 
The hymns that we quickly discarded have been anthems of strength and hope for their journey, yet we can dismiss those songs with a sneer and insist that they embrace our song choices. Some of them are not so much stuck in the mud, they're just wearied by our changes here to stay obsessions, and in some cases they've seen all of our brilliant new ideas before, wrapped in other packaging, and they're not so impressed. So let's look again at that old boy whose nose and ears refuse to stop growing, whose eyes are misty with memories. Tread gently around the widow who has lost her friend, companion and lover of 60 years. Do not slap her with, he had a good innings. For her, the game ended far too quickly. Let's put the phrase old codger away for good. And let's stifle our giggles when Doris asks if we can please sing that hymn just once next Sunday. Week in, week out, she tries her best to get in step with our rhythm, hideous though it sounds to her ears. Are there irritating, crotchety, stubborn seniors about? To be sure. But let's look again past fluffy hats and flowery frocks, past well-worn check jackets and dribbling noses, past silvery hairstyles and ties worn to go shopping. There are treasures to be found in old vessels and they won't be here forever. We're thinking about our approach to getting older, our attitudes towards the elderly. And that prompts me to remember one chap. And that prompts me to remember one older chap who was in our congregation years ago when we began church planting. He was a retired headmaster, a ramrod straight, staunchly moral chap, whose starched shirt seemed to express his creaseless morality. We could always count on him to contribute to a prayer meeting. His prayers were rich tapestries of praise, skillfully woven words of adoration mingled with scripture, spoken in a quaint Edwardian style, overlaid by his rich Yorkshire accent. Yet there were never speeches of the pray-and-display kind. Underneath his awesomely white shirts beat a tender heart for the Lord Jesus. Now I was just 21, a fledgling pastor, and visitation meant that I was obliged to pop in and see the older folks once in a while. I would listen to their aches and pains and drink endless cups of milky tea and then pedal on to the next house. I desperately tried to be sympathetic to their rheumatic challenges but still listen to their problems with the immortal, all-knowing ears of youth. I always felt slightly uncomfortable in the role, trying somehow to be a shepherd to people who'd been on the planet four times longer than I had. My clerical collar, yes, I wore one back then, rubbed uncomfortably on my neck like a shiny fairy liquid bottle biting into me and causing me to sweat. Sometimes my role as a minister felt like it chafed and rubbed as well. I used to visit the elderly headmaster and his wife occasionally, and the routine never changed. I would sip my tea and blather on about nothing relevant, and then he and his lady would listen, bright-eyed and attentive, as if I was dispensing pearls of wisdom like Solomon on a good day. Our time at an end, I would pray for them both, but before I was allowed to leave, he would always ask the same question. May we pray for you, Pastor? And then he and his wife would come and stand by the green sofa and place their hands gently upon my head for 20 minutes. They would thank God for me and ask for blessings upon me of every conceivable variety. 
Finally, when it came to say goodbye, he would give me a hug and place a kiss on my cheek. That kiss meant a lot. That man was a scholar of scripture. He could have easily taken my sermons apart, sentence by sentence, leaving them like a shattered Meccano set on the floor. He could have told me about other churches that he'd been part of through the years that were stunningly effective, far more so than our own. And he could have used our time to let me know that the music in our meetings was too loud and too long and unfamiliar and unhelpfully accompanied by drums. But he didn't. That elderly headmaster... He's currently weaving together prayers in heaven. He died years ago, but I still feel the light impression of his kindness and that tender kiss on my cheek. And on darker days, I touch my face and remember, and I'm stronger because of his enduring yet simple legacy. He was an older man. He was a gracious man. He was a priceless treasure and made a massive impact upon my young life, an impact that lingers to this day. Getting older and our attitude to the elderly, they can be treasures. Let's not miss them. Let's not lose the possibility of offering gratitude and kindness to them, even today. See you next time. Lucas on Life.